One of the happiest days, I think, in human history. We call it Palm Sunday, and it's often associated with uh, the crucifixion, and next week, the the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And I'm hoping to, uh, I don't know, put a little more light on what Palm Sunday was really all about. In the book of Ezekiel, the Lord uh, showed Ezekiel several prophecies. Ezekiel was ministering to a people who had turned their back on the Lord. The nation of, of Israel was headed as fast as they could get there to a time where they, their king would be gone and the glory that they had had in the relationship as a nation with Yahweh was fading. And as they were getting caught up in more and more idolatry, the Lord begins to show Ezekiel what's happening. Their idolatry is pushing God out. Pushing the Lord away. In Ezekiel, if you have opportunity to look through uh, the first 11 chapters sometime during this week, I encourage you to take a look at them. But what you begin to see is a slow progression as the glory of God begins to leave. Uh, You know, it's uh, amazing because when Moses set up the tabernacle the first time, the Bible says that the glory, the, the kabod, the shekinah, the shekinah glory of God entered in and this cloud descends upon the tabernacle. And from that point forward, the people always knew when God was home because the glory was there. The cloud enveloped the tabernacle, the, the light, the glory. You didn't walk by the tabernacle and look over and say, I wonder if God's there today. They saw him. Or they saw the effect of him being there, the, the weight and the glory, the kabod and the, and the shekinah there gathered in that place. And every time the high priest would enter in on the day of, of atonement in Yom Kippur and he walk into the, <coughs> excuse me, into the Holy of Holies, it would be there. He'd see him. Not face to face, but he would see the glory, the sign that God's glory is in our midst. That God is with us. And He was with them all those years in the, in the wilderness. And He was there all that time in the time when Solomon built the temple. You remember Solomon built the temple and he prayed the prayer of dedication? Do you remember what happened? The Bible says the cloud descended so thick that the people couldn't even see the presence of God on the temple. And there He was. Oh, but, you know, right after Solomon, Solomon, at the end of his life, he led the children of Israel into a time of idolatry. And as they entered into a time of idolatry, they began to worship other gods, and their life got too hectic and busy with all these other things that were going on. So they would turn away from Yahweh, and they would turn to whatever else they had going on. And little by little, through the prophecies of Ezekiel, the Lord's glory begins to depart. The Lord's glory begins to move. He tells us why. He tells us that they had set up an image at the northern gate of Ashtart. Ashtart was one of the false goddesses of the Babylonian uh, kingdoms. He tells us that they were secret heathen worship. 
hidden within the temple. Inside the temple they were worshiping other gods, not Yahweh. He says that the Jewish women were weeping over Adonis. Adonis, you see, that was the God who would die and be raised again each spring. Dead during winter, alive during the spring. And he noticed that the priesthood, the Lord said, the 24 courses of the priesthood were all worshiping the sun. So God's glory began to move. Slowly it drifted from that place in the temple. It moved from the Holy of Holies in the temple to the threshold. It moved from the threshold of the temple outside the house through the eastern gate, what we call the Golden Gate today, up the Mount of Olives, and then it was gone. The glory was gone. It was never there again. From that day forward, when they came back after the Babylonian captivity and they rebuilt the temple, the glory of the temple wasn't there. When the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies on the day of Yom Kippur, it was just dark. The weight, the Shekinah, the glory was, was not there. was not there. The Lord, in speaking to Ezekiel, gave this prophecy of the day when God's glory would return. Look there real quick with me. It's in Ezekiel chapter 43. We'll just look at a few verses there and then we'll, we'll come to Luke. But I just want to kind of paint the picture that you have a group of people in Israel who have been longing for the reality of the glory of God, that thing which is missing. Their worship was empty. They, there, was, there was lacking. Something was lacking in their experience with God. And so Ezekiel is given this prophecy in Ezekiel 43, beginning at verse 1. It says, Afterward he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east. That's the eastern gate, the golden gate. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came by the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with His glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I, which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the, the river Kebar. And I fell on my face, and the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And I heard Him speaking to me from the temple, while a man stood beside me. And He said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more will the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings by their harlotry or with the carcasses of the kings on the high places. When they set their threshold by my threshold. When they set their doorpost by my doorpost. With a wall between them and me. They defiled my holy name by the abominations which they committed. Therefore I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put 
their harlotry and the carcasses of their kings far away from me. And I will dwell in their midst forever. The vision that God gives to Ezekiel is the return of the glory of God. More than 400 years, the glory of God was absent. Well, it doesn't mean that God didn't move and that God wasn't there guiding and leading the people. But for 400 years between the Testaments, God was silent. And the Shekinah, the Kabod, the glory was not seen again. You don't even read it in the pages of Scripture. 400 quiet years. 400 long, quiet years. And then, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, the Scripture tells us this, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God came and, and was born in a little baby. And most people didn't even notice. A few, but most people didn't notice. They were longing, they were looking, desiring, wondering when. When will that day come when God once again will dwell in the midst of our people? But don't you see, it was all pointing to this day. Palm Sunday. That's the day. That's the day when, when God would fulfill His promise and His glory once again would stand in that place. In fact, if you turn with me to Luke, we'll take a look at Luke, beginning in chapter 19. We have an interesting event taking place. We, we consider the work and the ministry of Jesus as He came, even as the song we just shared a moment ago, for our story, for our wounds, for our hurts. By His stripes we have been healed. This was the, the, the accomplishment of His ministry. And as He was working and as He was doing those things, do you know what He would tell the people over and over again after He healed them? Shh, don't tell anybody. He would say, my time has not yet come. Now the people never listened, right? Because the next verse usually said they went around telling people. But the point of that whole section of Scripture is Jesus saying, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. But there is one day, one day where Jesus said, my time has come. There's one day where Jesus wouldn't quiet the crowd. He wouldn't say, shh, don't say that. There was one day their day, the day that the Lord had made long ago. And we read about it in Luke chapter 19. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 19. We'll just pick up the story at verse 28. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. We'll read uh, this section together and then we'll, uh, we'll comment. It says in Luke 19, 28. Now when he had done this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage 
And Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples. And he said, go into the village opposite you where you will enter and you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you are loosing it, thus you will say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said, Why are you loosing the colt? So they said, The Lord has need of him. They brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your students. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. And they will level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he went into the temple, and he began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word, God, for the glory, the majesty of this day. God, I pray that you would give unto us eyes to see and and hearts willing to receive, ears desiring to hear, Lord God, that we would understand. It's not just another day. It's not just a part of spring break. It's not just something we celebrate where we wave palm branches. It is the day. The one prophesied days of old when the glory of God would return. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. And I pray that you would anoint this time with your spirit, God, as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every other day. Jesus told the people to be quiet. You look. Read the stories. They're all there. Every other day he said, shh, but not this day. This day when he was told to quiet his disciples, he said, if I make them stop, the rocks will cry out. Part of me wishes he would have done it. Just to see what that would be like. The Bible tells in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation groans For the unveiling of the sons of God. 
The unveiling of the sons of God is that day when Jesus Christ, yet future, will return and unveil his bride. Reveal her to the world. And the earth is excited about that day because on that day, the curse will be gone. Sin will have been destroyed. Death will be taken away. Everything will be made new. Just as Jesus promised it would. That day is still future. And whenever I look at this story, I'm reminded of the same thing. Because Jesus told, listen, Jesus told through the scriptures, the nation of Israel, all the events concerning his first coming. But do you know, he spoke more than four times more often in the pages of the Old Testament about his second coming. That means the same things that we see in the read on the pages of scripture about the first coming and how they weren't ready for the visitation is the warning now projected to you and I about the second coming. He will come again. They're longing and looking for the glory of God. Are you? Do you find yourself longing, looking for the glory of God, for His return? Today is Palm Sunday. Maybe today we will be reminded of the glory of God and His return. As we look at Luke chapter 19, I I encourage you guys as we pick it up from verse 28, the first thing we see is Jesus giving instruction Giving instruction to his disciples. <clears throat> Go down the road down here and you're going to see a, a, a donkey, a colt tied to a tree. Just loose them and bring them to me. And if anybody asks you what's going on, just tell them the Lord has need of it. Would that not be a trip to do? And the Bible tells us they were asked. I'm sure the disciples are walking down to the tree thinking, man, I hope nobody sees this. I hope nobody sees We're going to walk down and I hope... We, and as soon as they start to untie it, some fella hollers from the house. Hey, what are you doing? That's my donkey. Well, we might as well just tell them what the Lord said to say, right? The Lord has need of them. Oh, okay. That's just a wild story to me. I had a friend. Well, I have a friend. He, he used to own a polo club in, in Hollywood and... He, of all places, got saved watching TV, watching a televangelist on TV. Sometimes I wondered if anybody ever gets saved doing that. But he did. He actually got saved. Gave his life to the Lord, and and the Lord led him to sell the polo grounds. He sold the polo grounds, and he's wondering what to do. And God tells him, I want you to buy a ship. A ship? Yeah, buy a ship. I don't really know anything about ships, Lord. Didn't tell you to know anything about it. I'm just asking you, go buy a ship. So he bought a ship in the middle of the Puget Sound. The ship had been in the Puget Sound so long, it was touching the bottom. It wasn't floating anymore. And it was pretty sure if it could, it would sink. It was buried in the mud. And he spent every last dime that he had trying to fix it. And when every last dime was gone... He wasn't any closer than he was the day he started. 
Lord, what do I do now? Well, now the Lord says, we can finally get to work. What? Well, all of your stuff is out of the way now. Now let's do this my way. And little by little, he just began to pray. And the Lord began to bring the people necessary with the necessary understanding to repair this ship. It's going to do that the rest of the day. Sorry, guys. One day we'll figure out where the leprechaun is. But it'll keep you from falling asleep. (laughs) You can almost time it. You know what I mean. So, anyways, the Lord slowly began. Friendships was born. Friendships was a concept where he would feed the hungry around the world and give medical based on the stuff we in the United States were just throwing away. One day... He needed another ship. They now have, I think they have eight now. It started with one. One day he needed another one. There was one for sale. Now if you can imagine, we're not talking about, you know, what we fish in. We're talking about a ship. Big. There's one for sale. And he goes and he waits in this long line of guys all have an appointment with this fella who's selling the ship. And they're waiting for this fellow who's selling the ship. And one by one, they all go in and they give their presentation why they should be the one he sells the ship, you know, making their bid, whatever offers they're making for him. And finally, it's his turn. And he walks in and he gives a presentation on friendships and what friendships is all about. And the guy says, well, that, that sounds interesting. How much are you guys willing to pay? And he said, nothing. Then he said these words. The Lord has need of your ship. And he gave it to him. Does that not blow your mind? How many times do we miss the glory of God moving in our life because we won't use those same words? The Lord has need of you. The Lord has need, and He gave. The Lord needs your donkey, and they let Him take it. It's a fulfillment of prophecy, by the way, in the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah 9.9, says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you. He is just, and having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt. The foal of a donkey. Your king is coming to you. The king of glory. See the Psalms declared. The king of glory would would return. And you know in, in Ezekiel 43. It tells us exactly the way he would come. Remember I told you when the glory left. It, it moved to the threshold. It went outside. It went to the gate. It went to the top of the Mount of Olives. And then it disappeared to the east. How is it that Jesus returns? How does He come on Palm Sunday? To the top of the Mount of Olives. Coming from the east, through the eastern gate, into the temple. The day that the rabbis argued about, when is the glory of God going to return? When is He going to be once again in our midst? Is being answered for them on Palm Sunday. 
The Word made flesh in whom dwelt the glory of God. The Bible says all of the Godhead dwells in Him in bodily form. All of God, Colossians 2.9. In bodily form. And so He comes and He begins to enter and He's riding this colt. He's coming through. And as he's coming through, just like they would for the, for, the, for the conquerors in the days of old, as they're going through, they would lay down their coats and they would put the palm branches across the road, signaling something great and, and majestic is occurring. And the people who had been healed and whose lives had been touched began to sing Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a messianic psalm. It's a proclamation. He's the Messiah. Here's the Messiah. Here's the Messiah. As he's coming down, the glory taking the same exact route that the glory had taken leaving, entering into the city, entering into Jerusalem, coming through the descent to the Mount of Olives. The Bible tells us that the Pharisees said, Can you make these guys be quiet? They're actually calling you the Messiah. Are you not listening? And Jesus said, Yes, I'm listening. No, I won't tell them to be quiet. If they were quiet, the rocks would shriek. They would shout. The Messiah has come. But then the scripture tells us, As he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. You know, so often when we think about God, and we read about God in the Old Testament, we read about God's glory, and we think about God's glory leaving, and the judgment of God coming on the nation, and them going into captivity, we think that it doesn't break God's heart to go through all that stuff. You want to know how I know it breaks God's heart? Because the heart of God is revealed to me through His Son, Jesus Christ. And when he's coming back, when he sees Jerusalem with human eyes, he weeps. He weeps because that's home. That's where I'm supposed to dwell in the midst of my people. That holy city. You ever wonder why people are still fighting over Jerusalem today? You ever been there? It's not like you go to Jerusalem and you think, wow, you know, there are so many very cool things here. I would just be willing to shoot everybody so I could have them. But people have been doing that throughout history, haven't they? Haven't they throughout history? You know that it's been destroyed. Jerusalem's been destroyed 17 times and rebuilt 18. And if it's ever destroyed again, it will be rebuilt again. There's just something about that city. The prophet said that God said, I will make Jerusalem a, a stone of trembling. A cup of trembling. And people are going to desire it. The people are going to want it. The people are going to long for it. But nobody understands why, except for those who have faith. Do you know that every single one of the four main faiths around the world are gathered together in Jerusalem? That they all call that holy city? Why? What set it apart? Even way back in Genesis chapter 14, it's set apart. Why? Is that the place that God wants to dwell in the midst of His people? 
In Revelation chapter 20, is that the place, the seat of the power of God when He rules and reigns on earth as King, as as a Word of God promise? Is that the place? And ever since, the devil's been trying to mess it up. Wow. As we look and we see Jesus weeping and crying out, look what He says. He cries out and He says, If you had known, even you... Especially in this, what's the phrase? Your day. There's something special about this day. If you even you had known, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. They're hidden. They're hidden because they were placed firmly in the word of God. And people don't always want to read the Word of God. But God holds them accountable to know what's there. There was a special day proclaimed by the Lord in Psalm 118. There was a special day of the Lord proclaimed by the prophets. There's a special day of the Lord proclaimed by a specific prophet. His name is Daniel. Daniel. Flip over there, Daniel chapter 9. We're just going to look at one verse. One verse in, well, maybe two, we'll see. In Daniel chapter 9. If you only you had known this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Daniel the prophet has a vision in Daniel chapter 9. It's called the 70 week prophecy. The word week is a, is a weak translation. The word is Shabuim. It is uh, sevens. There are 70 sevens appointed for your people. The concept, the idea is similar to our word decade. You know, if I said there are 70 decades, you'd know what I was talking about, right? Well, in Hebrew mindset, rather than decades, by tens, they go by sevens. Seventy sevens are determined for your people. Daniel chapter 9 verse 24. Seventy sevens are determined for your people and for your holy city. Okay, who's your people and your holy city? Who are the people of Daniel? Daniel was a Jew, taken into captivity. So who are his people? Israel. What is the holy city? Jerusalem. So this prophecy is specifically pointed toward the nation of Israel and toward Jerusalem. Now look, here's what is to be accomplished when these are finished. Listen to it. One, to finish transgression. That's our offense to God. The 77s will accomplish, it will finish, it will end our offense to God. To make an end of sins, that is to remove us from the presence of sin. To make an end, sin would end, there would be no more sin. To make reconciliation for iniquity, that is to appease God's wrath, bridge the gap that exists between we the offender and he the offended. To bring in everlasting righteousness, an unending kingdom. And by the way, do you remember 2 Corinthians 5.21? 
He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. For how long? Forever. Everlasting righteousness. Then to seal up vision and prophecy. To seal up doesn't mean to hide. To seal up means to fulfill. To fulfill all vision and all prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. To anoint the most holy. That's the glory of God returning to the temple. And anointing the temple once again with His presence. To anoint the most holy. The whole point of that was a symbol of the Holy Spirit being where He is supposed to be. Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 reads that, but look at verse 25. So know therefore and understand. That, by the way, is the word of God, and the word of God is never wrong. Know therefore means you can know this, and understand means that you can understand this. That from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, until Mashiach Nagid, until the Messiah the Prince, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Well, let me break it down for you. From the time of the going forth to rebuild Jerusalem, the Bible tells us that that occurred from Artaxerxes Longimanus, March 14th, 445 B.C. So we have a start date, right? He said from that point, moving forward. Sir Robert Anderson did a work called The Coming Prince that works out this prophecy. He says this prophecy is a mathematical prophecy. Figure out the math and you'll know the day. So you know the start day. We know there's only one, by the way, decree for them to go rebuild Jerusalem. Four decrees in total. Three of them were to rebuild the temple. One was to rebuild Jerusalem. It's interesting that the numbers are divided into two groups. Seven sevens, which is 49 years, right? Seven sevens? Seven times seven? 49? That's how long it took them to rebuild the street of Jerusalem as they were rebuilding. Then it says there will be 62 weeks, 434 years. You can break it down to days, by the way. 173,880 days total from the decree to the Mashiach Nagid. If you do the math from March 14th, 445 BC, you come up with April 6th, 32 AD, Palm Sunday. Jesus standing, overlooking the city, weeping over the city, saying, If you had known this, your day. But Daniel told them. But you know, to know that, you'd actually have to want to understand, right? The Bible tells that Jesus began to teach in parables. Why? He said, so seeing, they won't perceive. So hearing, they won't understand. What does that mean? If I tell you a parable and you care about what I'm saying, you're going to want to find out what it means. Agreed? If I'm telling you a parable and you could really care less, you turned me off before I got started anyway. Jesus said, back in, in Luke again, Luke 19, He said, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave on you one stone upon another because you didn't know the time. 
John chapter 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. Every time Jesus talked about his return, he would tell us the same thing. Be ready, watch, and pray. Be ready, watch, and pray. He didn't say worry about the day. He didn't say pick the day or try to figure out the day. He told them the day once and they didn't get it. He just says, expect me every day and you'll be ready. Expect me all the time and you'll be ready. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Jesus wept. The day on the Hebrew calendar is the 10th of Nisan. The 10th of Nisan is a special day. It's the day in which you, for Passover, would bring your sacrifice to the priest. And the priest would examine your sacrifice. They would take your sacrifice and watch it. They would watch it sometimes for more than just a little while. Sometimes they would keep that sacrifice in a pen and watch it for days. At the most, four days. At the end of four days, they would either declare that your lamb that you want to offer as a Passover lamb was acceptable, or they would say it was not acceptable. On the tenth day of Nisan, the Bible tells us, Jesus walked down and presented himself. Once again, the glory of God stood in the temple. What's the first thing the glory of God did when he got there? He cleaned it. God's been away for a while and he showed up and they're selling all kind of stuff and making money off of people. So Jesus cleansed the temple. He drove out the money changers. He flipped the tables. He released the birds. He just let it all go. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He called it whose house? His. This is my house. Jesus said. And beginning at that point, look at the, at, toward the end there in chapter 19. And he was daily teaching in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. He presented himself to the priests. Who is he? What did John tell us? Who is he? He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's the return of the glory of God to the temple of God. And he presents himself to the priest as the Lamb of God and says, Am I acceptable? And they examined him for four days. If you were in the Gospel of Matthew, you would see the next several chapters, all words in red, as Jesus responds, one after another, after another, after another, to their questions, to their problems, to their issues with him. But at the end of it all, at the end of all the court proceedings, at the end of all the stuff, what are they going to declare him? They're going to declare him guilty of being God in the flesh. They're going to declare him guilty of being the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They're going to declare that he is acceptable to die. The 10th of Nisan, April 6, Palm Sunday. That's when it begins. 
The glory of God comes down, presents Himself, shows Himself, talks about the day of the Lord that they would know and that they should know. And for four days, they're going to examine Him and declare Him to be without spot, without wrinkle. Pilate is going to say, I wash my hands of this just man. Everyone, everyone who has authority to decide whether or not he's guilty or innocent is going to declare him innocent and they're going to kill him anyway. Why? Because that's what they always did with the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was always innocent. The Passover lamb always died for the sins of the people. And Jesus was fulfilling that role as our Passover. Throughout this week, if you have opportunity to read, I encourage you to read Matthew. Work your way from about Matthew 21, which deals with what we just talked about, through Matthew 23. That will be what I consider to be the examination of Jesus by the priests. In Matthew 23, Jesus is going to say something at the end of that chapter that is important for you to put in light of what Palm Sunday started. At the end of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus leaves. And as he walks off of the Temple Mount, he never goes back again. And he says as he leaves, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones the ones who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See now, your house is left to you empty. In the beginning, whose house was it? My house shall be a house of prayer. By the end, whose house was it? It's your house. You don't want me. You don't want me. Your house is left to you empty, desolate. For this I say to you, you will not see me again. Until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus walked out. The rabbis had argued over and over again, What's it going to look like when the glory of the Lord returns? And the glory of the Lord returned. He came down that eastern road, entered through the golden gate, walked up into the temple, did exactly what they would expect the Spirit of God to do when He came home. He cleaned house. He got rid of all that junk that they were doing, all their false religious system. He pushed it all out the way and said, My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. He met their examination for the next several days, at the end of which time their rejection became clear. And then He turned. He walked out of the city. He had the, the Last Supper. He shared the Passover meal with His disciples. And that evening he went up on the Mount of Olives to a place called Gatshmone to pray. And they arrested him there. And they brought him in as the Passover lamb.
the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. That's the story of Palm Sunday. Well, there's so much more to that story. You know that after Passover, there's a Sabbath. And the first Sunday after that Sabbath is called the Festival of First Fruits. This particular time of the year, it was the 17th of Nisan. Jesus is offered on the 14th of Nisan as a Passover lamb, crucified, died, and buried. And when did he rise? Three days later, which would make the date the 17th of Nisan, the festival of first fruits. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is what? The first fruits of the dead. What is that promise? The first fruit promises a harvest. It promises that there will be more. It promises that this is the beginning, not the end. That this is the start of something so incredible, we can't even really begin to imagine all that is going to be taking place. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. He became our propitiation and it was completed. Our price was paid and accepted and the glory of God has been revealed and remembered. And it is, He is absolutely returning. In Acts 1.9, this is what it says. Now, when Jesus had spoken these things and while they watched, He was taken up. A cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And they said to him, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you will come again in like manner as you have seen him go. This same Jesus, full of the glory of God, will come again. Ah, but that is a story for another day, isn't it? Today is Palm Sunday. That's the day that the Lord made for the beginning of it all. When we can celebrate that God always keeps His promise. And just as He kept His promise to come the first time, He will keep His promise to return again. He presented Himself as a Passover lamb, was acceptable for the sacrifice, and died for you and I. Have you examined Jesus? Have you made a decision? Is he acceptable as your substitute sacrifice? That's the most important decision you will ever make. Is he acceptable? I told you. 
Is he acceptable to you? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come to you this morning, God, just celebrating the reality that you are exactly who you said you are. That you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world, not to condemn the world, but that through your sacrifice we would be set free. You indeed are the acceptable sacrifice. Lord Jesus, you fulfilled every requirement that God had placed. You accomplished it all. That gift is freely offered to whosoever will come. Lord, we thank you for this day. For this is the day that you have made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. And we ask God today that no one would leave this place without having an opportunity to make a choice for you. To choose Yes, Jesus, you are acceptable to me. Forgive me. Save me. Sanctify me that I might turn my life around. And may I glorify you in everything that I do. God, we pray your spirit would move. We pray that you would call your children to repentance, to recognizing and receiving that the glory of God is here now. And when we put our faith and trust in you, the glory of God takes up residence in his temple. For our body is now the temple of the living God. Lord, we pray that you would do your perfect work as we give you praise and glory in Jesus name we pray amen we're going to have prayer counselors around the room if the Lord has stirred your heart and you would like to pray we'll be available for you up front to pray with you God bless you and go in peace this Palm Sunday morning